You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and thanks for tuning in to tonight's Best Possible Taste with me, Sharon Noonan. As usual, I have an array of wonderful guests to introduce you to this evening. Chef Wade Murphy from 1826 Adair will be in studio to tell us all about the Eurotalk Young Chef competition. Food blogger Rory Carrick tells us about the Connoisseur Food Blogger competition. I'm out and about and meet Caroline Hennessy to hear about the blind experiment she conducted at the Hearsay Festival in Kilfinnan, County Limerick. And Ken Mayor foodie Karen Coakley has a delicious recipe for a heartwarming sweet potato soup to share with us. So pen's ready to write down the details of that. If you want to get in touch with me, feel free to drop me an email s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org, short for organisation. So without further delay, let's welcome Chef Wade Murphy into the studio. Wade is the chef owner of 1826 Adair in Ireland's prettiest village, County Limerick, but he's also the Commissioner General for Eurotalk Ireland. And tonight he joins me to tell us about the recent Eurotalk Young Chef of the Year 2015 competition. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Wade, thanks a million for coming into the studio. Uh, pleasure as always, Sharon. Thanks you, for having me. You had a busy few days a week ago. Yeah, or? absolutely. Yeah, just I'm almost over it. Almost over it. Uh, uh, five days back in the kitchen in, in, in Adair. Uh, soon sorts you out and gets you back into reality, you know. So it was a glittering occasion in the Shelburne Hotel and the Young Chef of the Year was announced, the Eurotalk Young Chef of the Year. But tell us... Firstly, what is Eurotalk? Eurotalks is uh, an organisation set up in 1986 by um, Myrtle Allen and the likes of Paul Bocuse um, and a few of the other huge, huge um, chefs in Europe. And basically it's set up as a, a lobbyist group to lobby the European Parliament um, about food legislation. And to put it kind of in a nutshell and to put it very simply, uh, we support locals, support artisan and uh, promote food, food culture and food history you know so that's that's what it's about but we're uh, initially we were set up as a, as a lobbyist lobbyist group and uh, Jacques Chirac actually gave us um, you know uh, a, a voice within Europe so um, that's what we do Your Talks Ireland is, is is a branch of Your Talks which we're we're our own little uh, little kind of organisation within and we, we do a lot of that but you'd see that a lot of the Your Talks chefs are, are, are promoters of, of sourcing locally using seasonal and, and stuff like that so that's that's basically what it is. It's it's an organizing organization of, of chefs and cooks uh, to promote who who try to promote food history and and everything like that. So you, I could go on and on, but that's it in a nutshell, really. And one of the highlights in your annual calendar then is the Young Chef of the Year competition. Yes, it has. It has. It's it's grown into a a beast of its own. Um, it started off as just a nice small competition, but it, over the last few years, it's really grown. And then this year, we decided we'd. Uh, um, we'd get back to um, you know let's do a gala dinner let's do a, a, a thing like that and showcase the event and we wanted to do it in somewhere with a bit of history we wanted to do it somewhere where, where there was a lot of um, a good location so where better than in the in the old grand ballroom in, in the Shelburne Hotel you know Absolutely, but to get to that stage, the chefs had to go through a number of different. Stages. Yeah, pretty pretty arduous uh, uh, process. You know, I don't know if I'd be able to do it nowadays. To be honest with you, um, first of all, they have to uh, submit a, a, a written recipe on the team, which was the this year was the the origins of contemporary Irish cooking. Um, so they had to write a written recipe on their interpretation of that and stuff like that. And it was encouraging to see what some of them had. Re- read into the to, to the team so then they do that then we interview all of them and this year we had a we had the most applicants that the competition had ever had we had 40 plus young chefs and um, I, I have to say that the in the competition the chefs have to be between 18 and 26 and and, and working professionally at some stage uh, and and so we had the most so then 40 of them are interviewed so I, I was involved at that stage so over two days in Dublin we interviewed 40 young chefs so you can imagine it was 40 half hour interviews over two days and after that we had the thankless task of whittling that down to five young chefs and we held a, a press event then a few weeks later and where we meet uh, the press get to meet the five finalists and it's at that stage where I tell them what ingredients they'll be given to cook on the day and if things aren't bad enough 
they find out then that Claire Smith will be their uh, guest chef judge three star Michelin chef from restaurant Gordon Ramsay in London and then there was myself Mark Moriarty Lorcan Gribben um, Graham Neville from Residence and Paul Kelly uh, from the uh, Paul Kelly from the Marion Hotel uh, great Irish bag yeah, yeah the, the Irish Paul Hollywood as I keep calling yeah. him he doesn't really like that but I <laughs> <laughs> but um, so we had to judge so that on, at the meet the five we, we told him that they would be given two 400 gram black sole on the bone and 70 gra- uh, or um, whatever amount they wanted of Wilkie's organic Irish chocolate 70, 70% uh, of that so then they had a, a couple of weeks to come up with their dishes and practice them and then last Sunday week they uh, they um, had to do cook their competitions they, and if it's not bad enough for getting to that stage they it's on a Sunday morning they have to work a Saturday night and then be in we held it this year in Cook's Academy they had to be in Cook's Academy by 7am um, to start setting up and start cooking and then they had two hours to come up with their two dishes so it was it was it's a tough tough I, I would maybe I'm, I'm being biased but I would consider it um, Ireland's premier culinary competition for young chefs you know it really is up there amongst them and Claire Smith was very impressed with the standard and everything so yeah and then we had the arduous task of uh, uh, of tasting black soul and chocolate at nine o'clock in the morning in, 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 in Dublin and then they don't know we, we go away we, we tot up the scores um, and then it's 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 you know all the scores throughout the, the, the various different stages are taken into account but the important thing on the on the morning of the cook-off is that um, the highest marks go for taste and flavor and um, so then we, we taught them up. The young chefs have to pack up off over to the Shelburne and then with their mentors, they had to cook. Uh, they each had to do one course uh, for 200 people in the Shelburne and serve dinner. So and then I think on the night, it was about 11.30 p.m. when I myself and Claire Smith announced the, the, the winner. Uh, and uh, so you can imagine it was quite emotional for the young kids and quite a long day. But you know what? That's that's part of real life chefing. You know, it's uh, seven o'clock in the morning till 11 o'clock at night and you know whether you're in a competition or you treat work as a competition you can't go till it's finished you know so that's the way it is whenever they were in Cook's Academy are you observing them the whole time and are you marking them yes on, on right the right skills? right from yeah right from start to finish um, we have our, 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 our boards we have our, our marks uh, laid out into different categories so as soon as we give them the off and tell them to to start we're watching their knife skills we're watching their cleanliness we're watching Watching, you know, their, their 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 fish preparation, their chocolate preparation, their pastry preparation. So we're watching it all. Yeah, it's all marked. It's it's all what. It's not easy. Like at one stage, poor Ruth, who uh, who not poor Ruth, she won the competition. But uh, at one stage, I looked and there was all of us judges and a video camera standing looking at her as she was filleting her black sole, which she did impeccably, I have to say, um, filleting her black sole. And and I just walked away and went, oh, I don't know how. She you do it because I wouldn't be able to do Very it you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. an audience like that well as you say it was Ruth that won it yeah um, she is in restaurant Patrick Gibo so yeah. she's coming out of one of the premier kitchens in oh, the whole big of time Ireland. yeah yeah and there was another girl shortlisted in, in the final five there as well yeah Roseanne yeah Mayo. Yeah, she works for Seamus Cummins, who, who's actually won the competition himself. Oh, uh, yeah, Seamus was the um, the head chef in Lecrevan when Lecrevan won the uh, won his Michelin star. So Seamus is all back home. He's from he's from Mayo. So Seamus was her mentor. Yeah, Roseanne, a lovely bubbly girl, very good cook, very good enthusiastic. You know, they were all they were. All, I I I have to say it's a highlight. Like I talk, we talked about you you know about food on the edge and all that. That is one of my highlights lights of my career talking at that but being involved in the young chef is another one that's right up there with that you know and uh, I admire them all one of the things I said that um, looking at the five young chefs um, I have no problem about why well, I don't I have no worries about how good the future of Irish food is if this is what the talent that we're producing in the country you know I want to ask you about one of the other finalists because he's a medical student. Yes, Robert. Yeah, yeah, very interesting character. He is actually chef as well. He does pop-ups himself and stuff like that. He's worked for uh, Heston in his um, test laboratory. He actually designed the edible bubbles that test Heston put on the uh, menu in the fat duck. He also worked with Kika de Casto over in, 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 in Spain. and um, He's actually doing medicine. He's a 
hyper intelligent young young guy um, got the highest possible mark, uh, points and he's leaving search but he wants to do medicine to study how food flavors affect the brain and taste buds so it's all food orientated but he was he was very good um, maybe you could see a little bit of his kitchen and experience in, 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 in his final plate up in a couple of things he did but he was we, we all commented that he was the person that put most thought into his two dishes and really everything he put on his plate was uh, like screamed Irishness and it was it was it was very good he, he made a great effort but I think he tried too hard but you know he, he did make a great effort so yeah it's interesting you know chefs are very different characters it's a it's a different job nowadays than the 25 years ago when I started you know well certainly whenever you look at the five finalists and their profiles and everything that definitely is something that, that jumps out John Fitzmaurice who used to be in the mustard in the mustard seed, seed out the road Limerick. yeah John made it again he made it again to the final five um, unfortunately for him he didn't win it he made a great effort um, he did himself proud again you know he's a good guy very enthusiastic and very hard working you know it's um, it's a pity he only entered the competition so you know in the last two years because I'm sure if he had another couple of goals because he is 26 now I think mm-hmm. and um, I'm sure if he had another couple of goals at it he'd definitely be a winner you know because he's a great guy I have great time for John yeah Yes, our commiserations to him, but obviously congratulations to Ruth who who won it, and it was great to see the woman there, and then Claire Smith. Yeah, absolutely. One of the even, judges even as well. She's the second in my three years as Commissioner General of your talks. I, I don't know, maybe that says something about me. She's the second three-star Michelin chef that I've brought in, and female as the guest chef judge, because two years ago we had Elena Arzak as well from uh, Arzak's in San Sebastian. So, um, yeah, no, it was great. Two two girls, two girls out of the five, and one of being the winner and one and the other girl putting a, a huge huge show um where i was actually talking to claire smith about it uh, afterwards you know it's not it's not like the old days kitchens aren't predominantly male anymore and the top chefs aren't predominantly male anymore the the whole the whole breakdown and the whole uh, whole whole um, profile of, of the industry is changing you know and, that, and that's for the better too you know absolutely yeah I want to ask you then about Mark Moriarty, who was one of the other chefs, because he won the Eurotalk Young Chef two years ago. Two years ago, the year when uh, Elena was guest chef, yeah, and then since has gone on to win the San Pellegrino World Best Young Chef. Um, So Mark has always been involved in stuff we've done with Eurotalk, so I asked him to be one of the judges this year, you know, so uh, he was there on the morning. And and particularly as well, seen as when he won the World Young Chef, Claire Smith was his mentor in in Milan um, for that. So I thought it'd be good for Claire to have somebody there that was a familiar face to her and also to 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 you know to show the young chefs that uh, you know winning this competition and being involved in this competition can can do great things for your can career very much lead yeah. on to yeah. other huge things yeah absolutely you know not everybody's as as uh, the character that Mark is but you know there are as good as talented young chefs out there as Mark and uh, as Claire said when he was explaining these dishes to the judges in 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 Milan he had the meeting out of the palm of his hand you know but he's He's one of those good, like Robert Brown, a very intelligent young man, you know. Um, but yeah, it was great to have Mark involved again this year and, and, and you know, um, helping judge the competition. And you could see he's, he's mature well beyond his years, you know. He's such a, a mature y- young man that even when he was marking and talking about dishes, you could, you, you know, you could see he's, he, he's well clued in. If there's anybody listening that is considering pursuing a career in the world of cooking, I know that there is a bit of a chef's supply crisis at the moment. Yeah, yeah. What advice would you give to them? Um, uh, I, I've always, I've maybe got myself in trouble over the years for being completely honest about the, this job. You know, it's very glamorized. You know, as I said, like the day after the Young Chef, I was down in Cork doing the RT Today show. You know, it's not all about TV. It's not all about this, uh, this and that. It's a hard, hard job. It's a hard graft. It's long hours. When all your friends are going out, that's where the place you're working in is probably busiest. You know, it's weekends and stuff. But if you want to succeed, it's like any job. If you want to succeed, and especially young chefs, I always say, act like a sponge. Just soak up all the information you can take. Keep your head down and work hard. And it will, you know, it's not very rewarding in the beginning. It's ne- it never, it's never very rewarding in the beginning. It's like any apprenticeship or anything like that. You have to work hard for years before things start to come come your way. You know, and I, I've been lucky enough. I've worked in some of the best hotels in the world, and worked in some of great hotels in Ireland. And you know, every chef's dream is to have his own restaurant. I have mine. 
I, and I, that's because I kept my head down, worked hard. You know, my restaurant is going well. We got a bib this year. We got won whatever awards. And that's just through not my hard work, but the guys that work with me as well. And they all have the same ethos. They just work, work, work. And it is like that. You know, if you want to do nine to five Monday to Friday, yes, there are certain chefing jobs out there that you can do that. You know, whether it's industrial catering or, or anything like that. But if you want to be a restaurant chef, it's hard, hard work. And there's no way of making it any easier. And hopefully now they'll start to act start offering more apprenticeships and stuff like that to help with the chef shortage but it's it's we've always had a problem finding really good chefs it always has been a problem there it's prob maybe it's because there's more restaurants out there nowadays or you know there's more places for people to eat or maybe you know we always travel so i don't know why people are saying it's because more people are traveling because i don't know if as many people are leaving the country as they have done over the years but it's it's not an easy job but it's it's there's nothing more rewarding than seeing something you've put all day getting ready putting it on a plate and then seeing that plate come back completely empty you know there is nothing more rewarding than that well you obviously love it the smile <laughs> in your face says it all Wade you just light up whenever you're talking about it and thanks a million for coming in tonight to tell us all a pleasure about is always pleasure best of luck to all five of them I'm sure yeah I'm sure they'll future. have fantastic careers they've all, all great things ahead of them and those that didn't even make the final five the 40 that applied you know the final five we could have you know it was 0 0.02 of a mark that that some people missed out you know there was 40 great young chefs there and that's to me that's the most encouraging thing to see for a competition like that to see 40 people apply for it and all like young chefs and dedicated people so i don't i know we're all short a few chefs now but i think the future is bright well listen have a lovely christmas and we look forward to talking to you again in the new year thanks a million cheers chin chin salut Thanks again to Weed and many congratulations to the Young Chef finalists and of course to the winner Ruth Halpham. Still to come tonight, I'm out and about and meet fellow broadcaster Caroline Hennessy to hear about the blind experiment she conducted at the Hearsay Festival in Kilfinnan, County Limerick. And Ken Merfoodie, Karen Coakley has a delicious recipe for a heartwarming sweet potato soup to share with us so pen's ready to write down all the details of that. Next, though, I'm delighted to turn my attention to the phone. And whilst we may have been discussing professional chefs with Wade, my next guest is an accomplished cook in his own right. Rory Carrick has been blogging under eatdrinkrunfun.com since March 2014. And he was recently shortlisted in the Connoisseur Blogger Competition with his pan-fried sea bass fillet with a garlic, lemon and ginger butter sauce served with samphire on a bed of coriander mash. Mm. He's on the phone now to tell us not only about that dish, but also about his blog. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Rory, thanks for taking the call this evening. You're very welcome. I must congratulate you on your success in the Connoisseur Food Blogger competition, your sea bass dish, which sounds absolutely amazing, came runner-up. It did indeed, yeah. So in the, in the top three for Ireland, so I was, I was delighted with that, I have to say. Tell us about the dish. Um, so the dish, uh, I had to pair it with a connoisseur wine. So I chose a single vineyard Sauvignon Blanc. And I kind of wanted to do a dish that was quite light, um, but also had a little bit of, I suppose, kind of excitement to it as well. Um, so I kind of took a look at the tasting notes for the wine and kind of thought to myself what would pair with it. So the wine is quite refreshing, quite light, has some citrus notes in it as well. Um, so I figured it would pair quite well with some fish. Um, I'm quite a fan of sea bass myself. So conjured up a couple of different ideas um, I tried it first by baking it and adding a bit of chilli and I kind of just overpowered the fish so that didn't quite work um, and then I kind of thought back to some samphire that I had which I really liked as well um, and I'm a big fan of coriander so I was kind of thinking of ways of, of kind of combining all of these these items together so with a little bit of trial and error then I went for pan frying the sea bass and I paired it with some garlic, lemon, and ginger to kind of like a, make a butter sauce or drizzle over the top of it. Um, so you get a little bit of heat from the garlic um, and the ginger, the citrus notes then, which kind of pair well with the wine, which came from the lemon. And then, of course, the butter just makes everything taste better. Um, and then for the mash, I paired it with the coriander, kind of whipped it up really, really creamy, with a little bit of milk, a little bit of um, butter in there as well. Um, and again, I kind of brought out that freshness, which, which paired well with the wine. Um, and samphire is just something I just really like. Um, I don't see it in an awful lot of supermarkets or kind of, you know, fruit and veg shops. So um, took a little bit of, bit of 
time to kind of find it fresh um, and I just thought it, it went really well with the dish and that's kind of where it came from. Not everybody will know what samphire is. No, it's and to be honest, which I didn't know a huge about, a huge amount about it myself. I had tried it a couple of times, but it's from the seaweed family. So, um, other than that, that it tastes quite nice. I couldn't tell you a huge amount about it. I'm sure plenty of, of the listeners will know a lot more about it than I would. You didn't forage it yourself, did you buy it? Uh, I bought it actually. No, I went. I sent out a few tweets actually to source it. So uh, Twitter is great for that now. I have to say. Uh, so I ended up going to Fallon and Burn actually, which. Uh, are usually quite good for something which is a little bit different. You sound like you went to an awful lot of trouble, you went to an awful lot of thought, you did your research, trial and error, you spent a lot of time in this. I did, yeah, I I have to say, and I suppose it was a bit of a challenge for myself as well. I wanted to, you know, put in a dish that, you know, if if people were going to vote for it, then obviously I should be putting in enough effort to make people actually want to vote for the dish, make it enticing, make it something that they would be interested in possibly making themselves, something that visually obviously looked quite well is on the plate as well. Um, and then, of course, it had to pair with the wine. So, uh, yeah, I certainly did put in quite a, quite a bit of thought. And you were talking there about people voting. What was the process for the competition? You designed this dish and you filled in an application form with the details. Yeah, that, that's pretty much it. So we fill in the forms um, and then they narrow down this, the, uh, basically anyone, so it was open to, to all food and drink um, and lifestyle bloggers in six different countries. So for Ireland, um, the top 13 entries um, then made their way onto the, the Connoisseur Blogger website and from there it went to a public vote. Um, so I suppose uh, some of that is, you know, when you see them all put together, there's certain dishes that are just going to appeal to you more visually. And then, of course, you know, people will read the ingredients and kind of think, yeah, that appeals to me. Um, naturally, of course, I, I uh, made sure all my friends and family voted for me as well, as, as one does. Um, and then out of the top 13, the, the votes for the top three then were tallied. And um, out of that three, then myself, Tracy and Sinead uh, went to the semifinals. Did you take a photograph of the dish or who photographed it? I, I did actually take the, the photograph of the dish myself and uh, kind of what went up on the website is kind of the best out of, I would say, um, about 40 photographs that I took. So uh, now I'm no amazing photographer. I was literally taking it from every angle. I was standing on chairs. I was kneeling on the ground. And I kind of thought, you know what, it, it should look appealing because that's the first thing that people are actually going to see. Um, and I did get a little bit of help um, in kind of just choosing the right one from a pal in work who had actually finished a uh, photography course. So it was a little bit of fun for the two of us to kind of, you know, go over the photographs and see which one looks the best. Once then you got enough votes, and it sounds like you were pretty strategic now in getting those votes, putting the pressure on the friends and family to vote for you. Oh, yeah. It but was obviously, votes, yeah. But any of, of these competitions, you do need people that you don't know out in the general public to ruin behind absolutely. you. Yes, of course, absolutely. And I mean, a, a great way to obviously to, to reach people out there, of course, if you have a blog, is, is to do a blog post about it. So naturally, of course, I, I did do a blog post about it. Um, there was obviously a number of tweets and um, like a link on my Facebook page and that kind of thing as well. So, I mean, it's all good fun in, in doing it. Um, but I would be lying if, if, if I didn't say I would have, you know, I definitely wanted to win. It, was, it would have been a, an amazing achievement to, to make it as far as France. The next stage then, before somebody was chosen to go forward to France, was there was a chef actually cooked up the dishes, the three dishes? There, there was, yes. So uh, it was actually, it was a master chef, chef um, Christopher Carpenter, who um, he was basically recreating from our ingredients and instructions all of the dishes. Um, and then for each country, he would choose who he felt was, was the, the worthy winner to go to the final. Sadly not me, but delight, delighted for Sinead Delahunty. So she, she did go forward um, to, to France. Um, so she was representing Ireland. So I was very much Team Ireland for her. So, I was, uh, you know, it, it's great to see somebody kind of get over there and, and, and give it a go for the rest of us. Although you didn't win, this has very much raised the profile of your blog and it is a very interesting blog and there's lots of different things on it. Tell us a bit about it. Um, yeah, so th- there is quite a lot on it. Um, I mean, it's got a heavy emphasis on food and drink. It's been running probably for about a year, just over a year and a half. Um, and it was really my attempt to kind of look into all of the kind of hobbies and interests I have. Um, 
because I'd been studying for, for eight or nine years in a row evening time so I didn't have that much free time to kind of in, indulge in the, the kind of the lighter side of life so when I finished my studies I thought I would start up a blog um, and then as, as, as I've kind of spent time on it the areas of interest have grown so it's I suppose food, drink and lifestyle would I suppose cover it um, but certainly a heavy emphasis on food and drink. And you're also an official blogger for the Boyne Valley Food Series. Yeah, I was. I was indeed. So that was running between May and September this year as well. Um, so I was delighted to be part of that. Um, I actually live out in Scary, so I'm not too far, obviously, from the whole Bind Valley area. And there's a huge kind of wealth of, um, you know, producers, restaurants, and kind of people who are very much engaged in the food industry in that area. So it was really nice to kind of go along to, to places that I hadn't been before and, you know, chat to some producers and see how people were being innovative with food as well. You must have got lots of material then for the, the blog from that. I, I certainly did, yeah. So I have I certainly have a few posts from that up on the up on the site. So um but I said it was it was really, really interesting and it certainly kind of opens your eyes as well to what's on your, your doorstep. Um and I think a lot of times people kind of almost neglect what's right in front of them or around them in terms of, you know, food and drink offerings and, and all the great producers out there. So it was nice to get that little reminder that there's a lot of local stuff going on as well. You have been writing the blog for less than two years, so it is very young and there is so much on it there. What can we expect from you for 2016? Uh, for 2016, um, I suppose, I mean, definitely more food and drink items. Um, I mean, obviously I live in Dublin. There's, It's a really exciting place to live at the moment in terms of uh, I mean, bars and restaurants opening there's constantly something new happening um, tonight after, or after this chat what we're having I'm heading to um, a, a cookery or a cookery demo um, and that's all about um, sexy food actually so sexy healthy food so that would be something I think I'm going to be quite interested in in you know being that little bit healthier because I run as well I write about running on the blog so it would do me no harm to you know maybe veer away from the bad foods and try a little bit be a little bit healthier in my approach and all being well, we're going to see you on TV, on TV3's yes. Aldi's The Restaurant in 2016. Yes, that, of course, if they, if they don't edit me out, yes. Uh, so I think we're due to hit our screens in March next year. So I am looking forward to that. Uh, fantastic experience, I have to say. And it was myself and the lovely Katrina Redmond from Holston, Ireland. We were on the food blogger table for the night um, and we had a wonderful evening, I have to say. Uh, a long night in terms of, of being out for eating. We were there from six, probably till about half eleven. Um, and it was great to see what goes on behind the scenes. Um, and it's it's true what they say. Eventually, you do kind of forget that you're wearing a mic and certainly they give you a, one or two glasses of wine to make sure you're, you're vocal enough. Of course, it's all good TV, so... And of course, your lips are sealed as to who the the star chef was I that night. What was served, and what you thought about it. But we'll get you again about that in the new year. I would look forward to it. Yeah. In the meantime, the best of luck with the blog. You have the recipe for that fabulous sea bass dish. There, it is eatdrinkrunfun.com. If listeners want to log on and have a look. Absolutely, yeah, and and please do. And of course, get in contact with me anytime as well. Rory, thanks so much for your time tonight, and enjoy your cookery class. Thank you, Sharon. It's been a pleasure. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to tonight's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan, and if you've just joined us on the show tonight, we have had the company of Wade Murphy in the studio who told us all about this year's Eurotalk 2015 Young Chef of the Year competition. And just before the break, we were staying with the competition theme and food blogger Rory Carrick was on the phone telling us about his blog and his delicious sea bass dish that was shortlisted and came runner-up in the Cono Sur Food Blogger competition. Never fear if you've missed some of the show as it will be up on the Best Possible Taste podcast later in the week along with all the previous shows. And you'll find the podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show and you can also subscribe to it and download it free of charge through iTunes and the podcast app on your iPhone or iPad. And still to come tonight, Ken Mayer foodie Karen Coakley has a delicious recipe to share with us so get your pens and notepads ready for that. 
Next though, I have an unusual one for you. In November, I was at Hearsay, which is an audio festival that takes place in Kilfinnan, County Limerick. One of the events involved tasting beer and sound, and it was called The Blind Experiment. Curious? I certainly was, so I went along to find out more, and afterwards I spoke to broadcaster and food writer Caroline Hennessy, who came up with the idea. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. Caroline, it's great to see you here at a radio festival and you did a blind experiment this morning. Tell us about that. Well, the blind experiment was a bit of uh, a blind chance in lots of ways. I had been talking to Dermot at, and it was actually at a cookery demonstration, and I was down the back of the room and rather than listening to the cookery demonstration, we were being terribly naughty and I was doing a little private beer tasting with him and I was just talking him through the beers and tasting and how, you know, how... And then I was kind of saying things like, you know, the way when you do a beer tasting, sometimes people like to be told what they should be tasting. And sometimes I like to tell people what they should be maybe thinking or, you know, this just to give people something different. So there's lots of different ways of describing it's like with any taste sensation you know you want to people all have the different ways into it and you'll get a hook with somebody in a different way so we're talking about this and he was like hmm beer and sound hmm and that put a hook in my head so I went away and I went oh 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 and just started really thinking about it but I didn't get much further than thinking for ages and then hearsay was coming up coming closer and it was getting a bit scary and then I was talking to a friend who said oh my brother Brian Brian Leach who who was my musical collaborator on the project that's the sort of thing he'd be really into and I was like okay so we hooked up and like Brian's just an incredible musician so like I was able to give him feelings and because the different parts of the tasting were to do some of them were to do with manipulating people's taste buds so we wanted you know we were playing kind of squelchy sounds and then we were playing kind of crisp sounds now within a very different different musical context people were tasting the same beer for those and then it was to see if they could if they thought the beer was different or if they identified it as being different or anything so it was it was so much fun to be able to give this stuff to Brian and I'd been thinking about it for so long and I'd been trying to write up the all these ideas and then he came back to me with sounds and I was like oh genius so we had we had a proper proper experiment and that was the thing it was about experimenting because you know, I got people to shout out words that they thought or things that, that, you know, images or what did it make them think about. And so I've got all these lists of words and I want to do this experiment in other places and see what kind of reactions I can get from people. As you say now, people were blindfolded. They couldn't yes. see. They had to put their hands out <laughs> nearly like we were getting commu- waiting to get communion to get the cups put in our hands with the, <laughs> That's with nice the, with the beer in it. Well, I felt that that was kind of the shape my hands were in anyway. Yeah, peace be with you. <laughs> and what will you do then with the results? You want to do it at other festivals and then will you collate the results? Will you write a report? Will you do something I'd for the radio? I'd love to do it. I really would love to put it all together into something. And because I just, it's it's such... A fun thing to play with. One of the inspirations for this was Heston Blumenthal, and he's done so many experiments with sound and taste. And he has a dish called Sound of the Sea, which is about you know tasting, uh, tasting, and there while you've got iPods on. And Kevin uh, Thornton from Thornton's Restaurant in Dublin does similar, like but very different. Uh, experience where you know it's for sea urchins and so a lot of what those chefs do is about evoking memories or evoking images and so a lot of this today was really about seeing what we could do with people with with and, and seeing how people responded to it and could you think of a better crowd than an audience full of uh, soundistas <laughs> you know people who were just actively interested in listening while blindfold I have to tell you Sharon you've never felt power until you've stood on a stage and you've looked at 50 blindfold people in front of you just waiting for cues 
that was amazing and the first part of the the tasting sound uh, of the sound tasting um brian played a piece of music and i'd never heard it on loudspeakers before because of course i'd been listening to it on headphones when he sent it to me and i was dancing a jig on the stage except nobody could see me which is just as well because i'm not a great dancer (laughs) but it was just it was like huge freedom to be in front of a huge crowd of people and they couldn't see see what we were doing you know that like and it wasn't not in a bad way because we weren't up to any mischief but just that we were able to control so much what was happening and again if you take away one sense then you know like the dishes I spoke about the dishes that um Heston Blumenthal and Kevin Thornton do they're about all the senses so today though I wanted to make it a little bit simpler take away your sense of of sight because that's your you kind of you'd have pre-expectations about something you saw in your cup if you could see it if you could see the colour because I didn't even tell you what kind of beers you were tasting and you know <laughs> what was the feedback from the audience I saw you speaking to a few people after it what were they saying to you about it they were really excited. One guy came up to me and he said, I, I totally, I just didn't think you could do this. I just thought you were messing and, you know, just kind of went, came up. And like, and he was, he was interested actively as a sound participant, but he didn't think that we would be able to make him taste things by messing with the sound, messing with the, the things he was hearing. And he was blown away by it. So that's lovely to hear because it's very much, you know, you when you're working on a project like this, and I wasn't working in isolation because I had Brian and Brian was, was such, as I say, such a great collaborator. He was really, really good at figuring out what it was I was trying to get to. So but you're doing it and it's the two of you and you're bouncing things off each other and I came away just going we have something but it was up to me to present it in a way that made sense to you know and I'm like as I say fabulous audience really really eager to listen and 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 experience but also a very sophisticated audience who deal with sound every single day I think the the fact that they were blindfolded is the only reason I got away with it (laughs) that and the fact that they were drinking beer at 12 o'clock in the morning they were much more enthusiastic towards the end than they had been at the beginning well we must talk of course about the beer that you served (laughs) because you have very close connections with the beer company eight degrees brewing when i came you know when when dermot said this to me initially you know i thought i want to do it i wanted initially to do it with more than just beer i wanted to do it with different sensations and then i thought no it's an experiment so i want there to be a baseline where you know so it's the same even if it's different flavors it's the same textures they have in their mouth each time so they can concentrate more if they know if you if you're at uh, something like that and you know it's beer you're getting then you're concentrating more on is this beer different does it you know what's the is the aroma different from it um what are the sounds telling me about it or not telling me about it or evoking in me so you could have this as the baseline so and i'm fortunate in that like i work with eight degrees brewing who are based only over the road in mitchestown and i'm not sure the lads were entirely convinced when i said to them can i have um a few cases of beer for this uh, blind experiment but they went with it because because I'm very good to them uh, I'll make them brownies I'll make them double chocolate porter brownies next week and they'll be happy but you know it was and I had two of the lads that work at the brewery who just happened to be locals here um, they live very close to Kilfinnan they're interested in the, the festival anyway and I said would you mind coming in and helping me? And they were stars. They really, really were brilliant, um, Brian and Daniel. So, you know, to have that help. So it, it's great because that feeds back into the brewery. And all the lads were really excited about it because they were, how, what, what, what? They couldn't understand it in so many ways. So they, but they were 100% behind it. And uh, so I have to, to say thanks to them. But it makes a big difference when you have something that you don't have to worry about. So that was one element I knew I didn't have to worry about. Well, congratulations on a very unique and novel event. And I have a feeling I'm going to see it in a few different places in 2016. So best of luck with that. Thanks a million, Sharon. 
You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break I was out and about talking to broadcaster and food writer Caroline Hennessy about the blind experiment which was one of the sessions at the audio festival Hearsay in Kilfinnan, County Limerick. And earlier in the show, we had Murphy joined me in studio to tell us about the Eurotalk 2015 Young Chef competition and food blogger Rory Carrick was on the phone talking about his blog and a delicious sea bass dish that was runner-up in the Connoisseur Food Blogger competition. You can listen to those interviews again when tonight's show in its entirety goes up on the Best Possible Taste podcast, which is on soundcloud.com and they'll be posted there later in the week. Or alternatively, subscribe to the show free of charge and download it at no cost on iTunes or through the podcast app on your iPhone or iPad. We're staying now with food blogging, but this time it's Kenmare Foodie, Karen Coakley, who's on the line to share a recipe for a deliciously heartwarming sweet potato soup. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Good evening, Karen. Hi, Sharon. How are you? I'm great, and I'm looking forward to hearing all about this curried sweet potato soup recipe that you have for us this evening. Yeah, this is a new one that I have up on the blog, and... I just I love soups and especially at winter time you just want something warming and something comforting. And as well the weather has been so bad lately with all this wind and this rain that I've really taken to making soups. I love soups because number one, they're nourishing. They're a great way to get vegetables into kids and even into yourself. And as well they're just so comforting and so warming. And when I was a kid I can just my memories are of going home from school at lunchtime and my mother always had soup. So it's something I carry through. I have soup here nearly every day and always homemade. And I suppose the, the the secret with making a good soup, and this is something that I presumed everybody did, and I know I've had this conversation with you, is to sweat off your vegetables. And how this came up was a friend of mine said to me one day, she said, Karen, she said, I made carrot and coriander soup, and said, it was just awful. She said, there was no flavor. She said, it was just terrible. So I said, tell me what you did. So she talked me through the steps. She said, okay, I got my saucepan, put in my carrots, put in my onions, put in my water, and I boiled it. And I said, well, look, I said, you didn't actually make soup, you just boiled carrots. So basically what you have to do is you've got to get your oil nice and warm, add in your carrot, your onion, your celery, whatever you're using, and put the lid on, like get the heat down to medium, and let everything sweat for about 10 minutes. Now take the lid off and stir it occasionally. But that's, put in some salt and pepper as well, because that'll bring out the flavour and everything. But you want all the flavour when you sweat it and when you have it, you want it all caramelised and to get the flavour going. Then you add in your stock, bring it to a simmer for maybe a few minutes, depending on the vegetables you're using. Some some things will take longer to, to cook down so they're nice and soft. Others take less time, like a tomato soup. I would probably just add in the tomatoes and just let it heat through and then blitz it. But if you have, let's say, bigger vegetables like carrots or parsnips or whatever, they might take a little bit more cooking. And then when they're tender, just feed them again and blitz in your blitzer or the soup gun they're really handy do you know those absolutely yes i want to just say something about the onions there because i was at a cookery demo a couple of years ago with Catherine fulvio and she talked about onions and sweating onions and doing it slowly over a low heat for about 10 minutes and said the difference that it would make to any sort of a dish that onions is in is just amazing and i think it's a humongous difference yeah, yeah and i think before that whenever i was cooking yes i would have always have the onions or sweat at the onions but I couldn't do it fast enough I couldn't do it over a high enough heat to get it done time, what you're doing by giving them time is you're actually letting them release their sugars like That's onions exactly have natural said, yeah. sugars in them so by um, cooking them long and slow like for me if I'm making French onion soup which is a huge favourite here and there's literally three or four ingredients there's onion I think a kilo of onions there's garlic there's beef stock I might even put, some, put in some thyme and some sage they're the four ingredients, but I will sweat the onions for about an hour. As long as that? As long as that. Now, very low, and I let it, I let it, I have to keep stirring it. Like, you could be doing other things, I don't stand over it for the full hour, but I will be doing something, and I will come back and give it a stir every now and again. And when I'm adding in my beef stock, then it's almost like, um, like a jammy kind of a consistency, as Jamie Oliver would say, jammy consistency, that's okay. his word. But yeah, and then what you have is like, the onions have almost reduced down to a pulp. 
and they're brown, they're caramelized, and they have like the sweetest of flavors. And that's what you want to get into your French onion soup. And then when you add in your stock, you get this beautiful natural kind of like a golden, like a deep golden brown color. And that will come naturally from the onions. Back to the curried sweet potato soup. So you're sweating your onion over a low heat. What do you do next then? So I sweat my onions. I basically just used in this, I used onions and I used sweet potato. I used curry, curry powder. Now I used a medium curry powder. You can use a milder one if you're not a big fan of heat because there was quite a kick off of this and I think I used two or three teaspoons of it. And again, if you don't want it so hot, you can use medium or else use a teaspoon less. And I added in a chopped fresh red chilli, a half a can of coconut milk, of coconut, and some chicken stock and some coriander. Now, coriander, I would always add in towards the end. It's one of those soft herbs and I think the less cooking you give it, the better. Like if you put that in... When you were sweating off your vegetables, I think it just goes, it just wilts down too much and loses its flavour. So what I did was I sweated off my onion and my butternut squash, added in my curry powder, stirred that around for about a minute. Yeah, around about a minute, two minutes would really be too much. Then I added in my coconut milk, put in my chicken stock, my chopped chilli, and then let that cook for maybe, it took maybe five minutes for the, the butternut squash to be nice and soft. No, you're um, saying butternut squash there. Is this sorry, a sweet, sweet potato? Yes, but you could do it with butternut squash, you could, could you? do butternut squash yeah. as easily. Okay. And I guess that's where I'm getting confused because I'm making so many soups at the moment. But the sweet potato. And um, so then add in your coconut milk and your chicken stock. Bring it up to the boil and salt and pepper just always season and make sure you test the seasoning before you serve anything before you bring to the table always test the seasoning and then just before you blitz it just add in your coriander chopped coriander stir that through for about a minute or two just to like let it you know infuse its flavour into the soup without cooking down too much and it's absolutely delicious and it's on my blog I talk about being a teenager and loving curry chips Am I allowed to say that? Absolutely. You know, Who doesn't top, love a curry chip? Top curry chips. <laughs> and the ones I'm saying in the blog, I say, talk about, you know, when you had the carton and you put on loads of salt, especially after a disco. And then you had the chips that were like stuck in the corner and they were really soggy. They were my favorite ones. So like that, I kind of say, you know, I'm a 40 something year old now and I can't be eating curry chips every week. So this kind of gives you, it's got that classic like, potato with that sweet curry flavour. You don't roast the sweet potato or the butternut the butter squash? The butternut squash and sweet potato, no I don't. No, okay. Because I think sweating it off is enough. Okay, perfect. I don't really, I suppose the only thing I'd ever roast for a soup would be red pepper, but then maybe aubergine sometime, you know, if you were making a roast tomato and roast red pepper soup, but normally I think sweating them off is enough because you get the flavours out of them that way. And what I would do there now is... Um, I would sweat it off in a chilli flavoured rapeseed oil. If I didn't have a yeah. fresh chilli, I would yeah. do that because I have a rapeseed oil there with chilli in it and it is there's some kick off that and you don't need very much of it. Yeah. And then rapeseed oil is, you know, kind of the in oil at the moment. Um, but I'm using coconut oil as well at the moment and I'm finding that's quite good. And of course, that would work really well with this because you use coconut coming through with that and the coconut milk. Absolutely, yeah. And I would imagine now this can be frozen and it does keep for a couple of days, but it doesn't last very long in your house, I'd say, Karen. It doesn't last very long in my house because the kids come in from school and they love nothing more than soup. So, I mean, I've never frozen soup because I've never had to, but I know you can. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I did actually. I made a Mexican bean soup a few weeks ago and I froze that and it worked out perfectly, actually. My four-year-old Hannah is very partial to soup, but we don't call it by its name, it's by its colour. So it's green soup or orange soup or yellow oh, soup. Oh, brilliant. And then she eats have, it. We used to have pink chicken when my oldest was young all those years ago, about 18 years ago. Um, yeah, salmon was pink chicken. Oh, really? That's a good yeah. one. I might try you know, that. Yeah, I might try that. Chicken, but he didn't like salmon, so it was pink chicken. Yeah. And then he just, whatever works. <laughs> Absolutely. Exactly. And would you serve it with a few croutons, a bit of bread? You could serve it with a few croutons. Basically, you can do whatever you want okay. to with it. Um, I was going to say nachos, but that was the Mexican bean soup. Actually, if you ever made that, some sour cream and nachos on top. Lovely. But um, I would just like even a sort of natural yogurt and some fresh chopped coriander. And actually, that's what I did. I chopped more coriander and more red chilies, as if I didn't have enough heat in it already, but I love spice. So, um, yeah, put those on top. And actually, speaking of spice, there's a new restaurant open in Killarney called Pau. 
It's an Asian street food restaurant. So anybody from Limerick or from North Kerry who's heading down might be interested in that. I'll keep an eye out for that, definitely. As far as I yeah. know, the man who's there used to be in Arroy in Limerick. Okay. It'll be hugely popular, I'd say. Yeah, I've been hearing about it for years. So we've been there three times in the last few weeks and it's absolutely fabulous. And what I like about it is it's it's healthy. It feels good. You know, you can go in and get a big bowl of noodle soup and you don't feel like you're eating junk. It's really natural, very good, very, very tasty and the prices are very reasonable. Whereabouts in Killarney is that? It's on the main street across from Penny's. Okay, easy to find them. No, the names and streets, but just it's one for people to look out for. And you know, if you are in Killarney, definitely it's well worth popping in. Starters are like five euro, and main courses are eleven, twelve euro. Okay, great. So cow, K H A O. Well, in the meantime, people can go on to your blog, kenmerefoodies.com, and of course, that recipe will be up there. And that recipe is there, yep. Facebook page, Instagram, Twitter, you're all into the social media, Karen. I am, and my Instagram book broke this morning, and I'm heartbroken. I'm kind of like waiting for it. I don't know, I think it's a problem with Instagram, but anyway, we'll get it back. All right. Well, listen, in the meantime, um, enjoy the rest of the week and we'll be talking to you before Christmas. I'm sure you'll have a nice festive recipe for us. I do. I do. I do. Indeed. Look forward to it. Thanks, Karen. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleite. Lovely to talk to Karen as always. And we look forward to her return in the coming weeks with another recipe, which I'm sure will take on a festive theme. Before we go tonight, I have time to tell you a couple of things. The first one is to do with RTE's hugely successful Dragon's Den, which is currently looking for applications. So if you have a successful food business and you want to take it to the next level, or maybe you're a small startup, or even if you just have a lucrative idea and need a partner to take you in the right direction, then it's time to enter the Dragon's Den. Deadline is December the 11th, so only a few days away. And um, you can get all the info for that on the RTE website. And last but not least, an extremely important event taking place this Saturday in Newcastle West. County Limerick involves the big man Santa himself. He'll be in his grotto at the top of Bridge Street. And he's hoping that lots of good little boys and girls will come to visit him. Sure, I might take a spin in myself and find out what he'd like for us all to leave out for him to eat this year. Because he could be on a diet, you never know. Call into the Home Office shop opposite the Post Office to book your time. And if you have an event coming up that you'd like me to give a mention to on the show, please drop me a line with all the details to s.noonan at live.ie. And that sadly brings us to the end of tonight's show. Thanks for joining me and thanks to all of tonight's guests, Wade Murphy, Rory Carrick, Caroline Hennessy and Karen Coakley. A final reminder that the best possible taste podcast is online at soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show. And as I said before, you can also subscribe to the show and download it free of charge through iTunes or use the podcast app on your iPhone or iPad. I'll be back at the same time next week when I'll be talking to some of the wine importers who supply our resident wine guru, Ron Forrestal. So until then, sláinte and bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit.